And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. It is Wednesday, the 21st. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here. Jason Hodge here in the studio. We are live from the bunker, broadcasting to both YouTube and Facebook. We have plans for our Twitch channel. Don't worry. Uh, We do want to uh, get our follower count up to 100, and then we're going to start our watch parties again. So, uh, Mazurus in the chat. Uh, hopefully that wasn't actually your fingerprint there in the opening. But good to see you here. Uh, the chat, as we mentioned, is open. You can also leave a comment if you're watching this in replay. You, know, you can send us an email, live from the bunker at sci for mecom We're on all the socials. You can sign up for a newsletter. And if you prefer this, in podcast form, we're on a lot of different players. Tune in, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, Pocket Cast, Amazon Music, Listen Notes, Double Twist, and Apple Podcasts, which is now offering a new uh, subscription option we've got to look at. Because I don't have any idea. Um, oh, wait a minute. Let me... I don't know if we're going to do that or not, but it's coming. So we'll see. We are also uh, set up for those of you who are into the alternate media. We're over on Odyssey as well. So everything that you see here, you can see there. And eventually they're going to have a live option. So we'll be broadcasting to both. So in the event of an adpocalypse or some other shenanigans going on at YouTube, we'll have alternatives there. So anyway, speaking of apocalypse, as we do, let me uh, let me bring in our guest here. Let me turn that down and bring in our guest today. Author Robert Reisler joins us. Hi, Jason. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that you have an intro uh, <laughs> and a little bit of setup time because I was having all kinds of problems logging into my zoom account oh no that's not that's uh that's the gremlins the gremlins are equal opportunity annoyers yeah i think i pretty much just said you know tip number one for writing a novel (laughs) like i do don't write it in a sports coat because i couldn't (laughs) seem to type anything correctly (laughs) well and and, you know when we have we have these things around here uh, i i have frequently complained about windows 10 uh, in terms of the operating system and and the layout and all of that, but it it auto updated here not too long ago, and I have had all sorts of issues with the audio drivers, with our website not loading, uh, you know something something in the WordPress code isn't talking to the new Windows 10. It's it's just you know I I feel your pain, sir. I I completely empathize. Uh, you know every everybody uh, wants to be able to have a moment to be able to you know, take a dig at Microsoft or uh, what's wrong with your computer, but I, I have to take all the blame today. <laughs> it was all me. <laughs> well, okay, so let's let's get into apocalyptic stuff because you have the, right. you have a new novel 
It is called The Four Myths, and it is uh, a, described as an apocalyptic thriller. So let's start there. What is it that you can tell us about this? What's the story here? What are we, what are we looking at? Well, the story behind this book is that I, the author, uh, essentially came across a cabin filled with um, hundreds of numbered notebooks that seemingly appeared to be from the future because they were dated 2007 to 2048. And when I stumbled across these, it was 1999. And through reading them, it appears that they are outlining some coming events and the end of the world. So I decided, since I believe in them, the more I research them, I might as well write a novel about it because it seemed like the right thing to do. <laughs> so what was the impetus behind the story? What was, where was, where was the beginning of this? I know I see on your, on your, uh, your author bio, you're heavily influenced by Stephen King among others. Was there a particular aha moment that you sat there and went, oh, this would make a good story? Or was this just kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different things sort of just gelling together at, a, at, a, at this, this perfect storm of, of pieces? Well, I think, uh, I think definitely there's lots of amalgam in it <laughs> uh, as far as uh, when you're actually starting to put it together and what you're going to put into the story. Um, I think as with pretty much any writing I've done, uh, it's just that perfect storm of inspiration and creativity that comes uh, out of nowhere. Uh, and I guess possibly stems from some, some sort of desire. I guess I, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't want to save the world. Uh, so I, I guess I tried to, uh, I tried to put in, in into this book in the frame of an end of the world story um what people um try to do uh to save it so when you're saying you know, the end of the world with a lot of times with these post-apocalyptic settings uh right. we're looking at some kind of Holocaust or a war or something like that. But I'm get I get the impression with the four myths and 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 the the seeming metaphysical aspects of this. When you say end of the world, you're talking second coming type of end of the world. Yes. I mean this is this is more along the lines of the Left Behind series as opposed to the Hunger Games. Yes. This is uh this is more of a leading up to uh prophetic story. Uh, than it is um, aftermath. Um, so without giving too much away, it, it's definitely not any kind of um, specifically religiously uh, based or focused. Um, I think there's a little bit of everything for everyone in there. Um, but yes, it's a more prophetic story. Now, is this informed by any particular uh, biblical scriptural studies on your part. Uh, I see on your on your website you're up for metaphysical debate. I'm assuming that you've got a little bit of that research under your belt as far as you know, 
what scriptures say versus what people interpret it to say and that sort of thing. Is that in this? Is there is there is there a lot of that? Just a little bit? I would say uh, that yes. I through you know my life I have researched um, lots of different religions and I I have lived on many different continents and uh, I think. I think part of part of this story came from the fact that there are so many different beliefs, and um, and I think I definitely I definitely try to give a a particular perspective. Uh, it's not a choice on a on a particular faith. It's a it's a particular perspective uh, when you bring all those together. So this is not this is not an allegory for presenting Christianity like J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis. This is more a, yeah. of a, this is more of a, what if, what if this happens, what would normal people do type of thing? Is that, is that yes. how I, I'm reading and, that right? And I think I try to, I try to bring in the fact that, you know, these are people that live in this world with the beliefs that we see around us. Um, but yes. Did you have any thoughts about, approaching it like Tolkien or Lewis. I mean, they're they're telling, you know, they're spinning a good yarn, but the goal of those, you know, the the Narnia stuff and and the Lord of the Rings are basically presenting Christianity in an allegorical fashion. There's an actual purpose behind the different things that are in those books. D- did you have any designs like that that maybe you backed away from or was that just this is just not appropriate for this story. Maybe, maybe another one. No, I think, uh, I think I, I tried to bring a little bit of what I see are problems in the human family. Um, you know, not everybody believes in God. Um, but everybody seems to either believe in spirituality or humanism. I don't think that there are that many people running around except for maybe a few sociopaths that, that um, believe that there are no rules, there is no right and wrong, and we're just Darwinian right. at, at nature. And so thus murder, rape, anything, you know, they, they're meaningless. They're, these are just... You know, if we wanted to do them, I don't think most people feel that way, regardless of what you believe. Um, And so, obviously, if most of us believe in a certain kind of compass of right and wrong, even if they differ in in detail, um, we we seem to, uh, from a bird's eye view, be failing miserably. A lot of times, yeah. not only yeah. on a global scale, but even on an individual scale in our daily lives, um, just from my own personal experiences and weaknesses and failings, but just in looking around at the people right next to you. Uh, so I think I I tried to um, I tried to uh, open up a window to hopefully entertain, but get people to think a little, and maybe put it into the context of belief. Yeah. Now, when when you say the the moral compass, are are you of uh, the frame of mind that that moral compass comes from a creator, whether somebody wants to acknowledge it or not? I mean, I have I have 
my faith as well. I believe in God. I believe, you know, I I believe what the what the scriptures and the Bible teach. But there are some people out there who, like you're saying, they don't believe in God, but they still believe in right and wrong. How how can those two mindsets coexist? Do you think? Because right and wrong, if you're dealing with absolutes. Right and wrong has to come from somewhere. I mean, it doesn't just pop out of nothing. Right. You're right. That- I mean, I think the the uh, the one who maybe does not believe in a creator would say, well, right and wrong is at least a a general kind of like our own constitution, majority majority right, minority rule. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think. Uh, we we survive together because we try to enact um, rules that that allow me to do what I want to do, but I don't necessarily hurt someone else. Sure. And um, I think any form of absolutism is is uh, usually a uh, going to put you on like a highway to hell, so to speak. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I think uh, I think that's what we deal with when when we when we say there are problems around the world, uh, it's twofold. There's it's either just due to our own weaknesses to try to toe the line of what is probably best for everybody, yeah. and then there is uh, that extremism, that stream extremist viewpoint uh, that that becomes uh, a conflict. A number of conversations that I've had recently, but also other other. Other conversations that I've observed online in various places talk about that extremism, that absolutism. Um, social media, of course, being a place where a lot of that gets exacerbated. Uh, have you had any kind of pushback as far as you know, your your the metaphysical aspects of any of this stuff? How has has the four myths been received so far? So far, uh, it's been received very well. Uh, as far as the ratings go, the percentages are are uh, definitely much greater in the four and five stars than in the uh, the uh, very few uh, lower ratings. Uh, I do have it appears a hater here and there, uh, but those um, mostly seem to do with the fact that um, some reviewers have compared it to the stand said that it was the best that they'd read of its kind of a book since the stand or or um this kind of relation to stephen king and then stephen king loyalists right um people that are like well this isn't stephen king or or uh whatnot uh i did recently have a a review where uh he pretty much was saying um four myths why four why not more and at the end of the day i don't think i got any information any anything uh you know what was what did he end with Im, uh, Im, imagination is not a substitute for deep insight so <laughs> okay that's uh, I think, you know i mean we're all gonna get a troll here and there sure. I, I actually i actually received um a chapter from my book uh from the audiobook narrator that day mm-hmm. uh and after right right after i had read that review and and it was actually about the four myths, the part of the book that's actually about the four myths. And, and so I'm listening to him narrate uh, my own book to me, you know, uh, checking it for errors and whatnot. 
And uh, I was like, you know, this isn't half bad. I don't think I said nothing. <laughs> so it was a it was a good day to get that chapter. Yeah. Well, and Sci-Fi Snob in the chat says, right and wrong can just come from not wanting to be hurt by others. You have this this definition. Now that that to me though is a little bit more uh moral relativism as opposed to an absolute right and wrong what's right for me right. is wrong for you and you know rules for thee and not for me type of thing and that conjures up all sorts of of uh topics for you know class envy and and you know racial disparity and gender disparity all all of these different arguments that are made to to classify and categorize and separate and other people uh, right. But when when you look at the the four myths, the first thing that popped into my head was four horsemen of the apocalypse. Correct. And it's it seems to me, is there is there a parallel there? Am I because well, I haven't had a I chance would, to read it yet? So I would um I would plead the fifth on that only because uh, I will tell you I won't say one way or the other on that question only because if I say if I say one way then I might. Uh, let people know that, you know, it's not something. And if I say another way, I might let people know it is something. And, and I'd rather them get to have those aha moments along the way. Uh, I, I think the fact that even you said that, or that that's something you picked up on, I think that when you actually read the book, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll get that, that I was going for something when I named, when I named it. And, uh, yeah. So, now you mentioned you, uh, an influence uh, from Stephen King. Who who are some of the other authors that you lean on as far as style, uh, tone, different types of stories that you tell? Do you have your your set playlist, as it were? I would I would actually say no, um, mainly because uh, I. I will have to admit that on the one hand, I'm not super well read as far as a huge amount of authors. Um, and that's mainly because um, I've been so focused on my own career and then eventually um, trying to decide to be a writer, uh, something that actually I've been wanting to do and, and be and, and have dabbled in since... Uh, Probably I was very young, uh, but came more to fruition in college, um, but just never having enough time. I, I think, I think, um, I think the books that I've read here and there over the years have not so much influenced me in style, but have have showed me um, moments of why good writing is good writing. Sure, and. And and I, I'm a huge movie buff, right? So I'm. I think my whole life I've 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 really studied pictures while I'm watching them, uh, and and trying to decide what did they do to make this good, and why do I like it? And I think that I tried in my own writing to uh, to take to take that approach uh, that they often say is write the book that you would want to read, and and uh, so I think I think that's more. Um, more what I uh, lean towards. I will say that that although Stephen King was one of my first adult uh, uh, 
authors that I read as a high schooler. Um, and I kind of stuck with him for a few years. Um, I didn't like every one of the books that I read. Uh, and I didn't like the ending of a lot of them. Uh, I think that was an influence for me. I wanted to make sure if I write books that I, I at least like my ending. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I may, I may miss the mark, uh, on, on some, uh, I guess in the future, we'll see, uh, people have seemed to like the ending of this book. And, uh, when I read the Da Vinci Code, uh, I liked the pacing of it. Um, I thought it was definitely antithetic to, uh, some of the longer, uh, drawn out books that I had read and, and uh, so I, I tried to uh, I tried to be able to tell an epic story, but keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have the ending in mind before you start? Are, are you one of the one of the terms that I keep hearing lately from from a number of authors is pantsing or being a pantser, uh, essentially flying by the seat of your pants, as it were, where right. you're just kind of making things up on the fly. And it's this stream of consciousness story that just comes out. And then there are some authors that do the outlines, they do the they do the chapter breaks, or they do the note cards, and they you know do all of the arranging. How do you plan for your book? How did you how did you get started on this? And have there been pieces of the process that you look back on and say, "Oh well, I could have done that. A little, I could have done it this way. It'd have been a lot easier." Uh, right. So um, I think. I think definitely the creative process is definitely going to vary from person to person and, and how, how it works for you and how it works best. You kind of stumble upon. Uh, I think it's good to listen to what other authors do and um, see if some of that resonates with you. I know for me, not being trained in as a writer, I'm more of what, I guess I'd consider like the John Grissom type, a lawyer that becomes an author. I'm more uh, uh, just an academic that, uh, you know, has, I, I have a pre-med degree. I'm, I worked in medical software. I, I, uh, I kind of was always chasing the dollar because I was good in math and science. Um, right. So I never really had the education of a writer. Um, so I kind of had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And it's interesting that you actually mention, um, you know, looking at like the end of the book and how do I get there and whatnot and what that process is. I, I, uh, I mentioned, I think on my website that um, when I watched Dan Brown's masterclass uh, recently, uh, I think last summer, uh, it was around the same time I was launching the book and uh, no fault. Uh, I think it's a great, I think it's a great class, but I didn't learn anything. Uh, but it was very validating <laughs> because sure. almost everything he said in there, uh, was pretty much what I'd learned the hard way over the years. And, um, I know for me, I have to know the ending so far with everything I've written, uh, I, I have to know the ending before I can sit down and actually, write it um, only because I, I want to know where it's going. I don't necessarily have to outline everything, uh, but I do spend a lot of time doing mental homework um, and, and uh, research and, and uh, thinking about the story, thinking about the arc of the story. 
Um, but there's a lot of magical things that happen when you actually start putting it to paper. Now, is this self-published? I'm looking at your Kettle. Okay, so it's coming from Kettle Books. How did you connect with them as far as finding a publisher? Was your was it was it an easy process? You say, oh, hey, I know these guys. Or was there right. was there a long search? Right. So Kettle Books is actually my publishing label. Ah. So it is a self-published novel. Okay. And the reason it's a self-published novel is because of the type of book it is. Um, I had uh, a friend who's an author get published around the same time that I started looking for agents. And I found very quickly that the big publishers, they do not want to take risks on new authors that um, unless the book is uh, what you might call fitting right in a particular mold. Right. Right. Because they're going to spend a lot of money um, so imagine, <clears throat> imagine if Stephen King had tried to sell the stand as his first novel, sure. just probably would not have happened. Uh, and I knew, and, and so I debated, I actually debated, well, maybe I'll write another novel first, but this one was so difficult to write and took so much of me. And, um, and I was in love with it so much that I was like, I don't think I have the time or the energy to write another novel and wait for it to be published before I go with this one. So yeah. I decided to put it put it out there. Well, let me ask you this because I was talking to uh, I was talking to we we were interviewing Eric Leland last week about his first book, and um, the 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 idea of going through all of this process and not submitting it to a publisher have you have you submitted it to a publisher at all to test that theory or have you had well, discussions with anybody about getting right. it out there so in a different the process is finding an agent first right and so you have to do things like write query letters to agents and you continue and continue to submit to agents and uh, over and over um trying to uh write a letter that will somehow grab them and make them not only believe in what you've written, believe in you and want to take you on and go sell you to a publisher. Right. And um, that process is not only very difficult, it's very time consuming. And I have four children. I have a wife. <laughs> I had a full-time job yeah. and I had to write a very complicated nonlinear novel. At, at, when it finally got to the point where, I was deciding that, yes, I did send out some query letters. Um, I waited. You have to wait for weeks, sometimes months. Um, after a couple, you know, said we're not interested, you know, weeks, months have gone by, and I'm already continuing to use uh, uh, my own money to uh, get it professionally edited and uh, wanting to make sure that if I am going to self-publish, that it's a, it's a, it's a book that's worthy of re being read, um, right. that it's not full of, full of errors. It has its typos, even with two professional, very <laughs> expensive edits and even one more going through it, my own self, uh, it still has its errors, but the second printing is, uh, just being launched and, and hopefully a lot of those were, are cleaned up. But, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, uh, eventually it was just like, I've invested so much time and money in this. I actually, not only do I believe in the book so much, 
I don't really want to give the rights away to anybody else. Right. <laughs> and, that, and I'm and I'm reaping the benefits uh, for that decision, and and so I'm, I'm I'm happy with it. So you've sold the movie rights, the TV rights, the comic book rights, all of the adaptations, and and oh, so forth. I, I wish, I wish, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's amazing how many people already want to see it as a series, and I was getting that on like week one. So. Well, and and it's funny because there there's a lot of back and forth online, and and I I see it frequently in the form of a complaint, especially when it comes to comic books, but novels as well. Uh, people who are sitting there saying you should not be writing a story in one medium as an audition for another medium. Right. You know, don't don't <clears throat> write the comic book as your Netflix pitch write the comic book as a comic book because you can right. tell in certain places like well okay they've written this story to adjust for a Netflix budget you know it doesn't right. cost it doesn't cost any more to blow up a planet than it does to walk across the street in a comic book right so was that anywhere you know you've got people telling you that they want they'd like to see it as a series was that ever in your mind as you're writing this as oh this would make a great movie this would make a good Netflix series or were you just you just focused on writing the book no i i, I would uh i would say that that uh i think both modes are are fine as far as uh as what anybody wants to do uh, if you're, if you're going after the, if you're going after the dollar, there is nothing wrong with, uh, writing, writing to, uh, sell. Um, <clears throat> and, um, I wouldn't say I'm a purist. I, I, I would say if I, if I had an opportunity to write something that I know I could write and write it in a particular way to, to, to make a buck, then that's great because that will allow me to, to have more freedom to write the things that I actually want to write. Um, but in this case, no, I was in love with the story and I presented it the, the way it unfolded um, inside of me. And and uh, I think just along the way, uh, I I I wanted to see it uh, as I as I as I got closer to the characters and I actually started to to see them in front of me while writing. Um, there's a part of me that would like to see it. Uh, but to be honest, I, I don't actually know if it would translate well or not. Yeah. I have some ideas on how it could be a series. If, uh, if someone were to approach me, I, I might throw some of these ideas at them. Um, but I have no interest in writing that series. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind being an executive producer where I maybe give some guidance, but sure. uh, <laughs> I have no interest in writing it. Well, and the other complaint uh, is is the idea of message fiction, and yours uh, in particular, you know, dealing with metaphysical topics and, and ideas. Uh, when you compare to, you know, we mentioned Tolkien, we mentioned Lewis, having specific reasons for writing the certain stories that they wrote. Are are the, is there is there a is there a message fiction story in your head anywhere? Was there any kind of an intent with the four myths to persuade people to a certain mindset, or or no? I, I think so. I think uh, I think one reviewer actually uh, made me feel like I had kind of accomplished my goal. Uh, she said <clears throat> that she. She really loved the book. Uh, she said that it was um, that it was. I think this was actually another one that had related it to the stand. 
I think she said the stand now has its equal in good versus evil. Uh, and it gave me philosophical food for thought. I might be com combining two different reviewers there, but, um, but I think that's what I was trying to do. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to give a book that would entertain and would connect people to real life characters yeah. that they could relate to um, in an insane uh, kind of uh, progression of events and, and just get people to think. Uh, one guy gave me four star rating because he, he's, he said, why, why only four stars? And it was because he said, I made him think too much about his own existence. So <laughs> I guess I accomplished my goal. I, suppose that's I wanted a five-star re review. I'm not sure which one was the bigger goal there. Yeah. But. Well, and let me ask you this, because in you mentioned all of the crazy, you know, the chaos that, that we're dealing with right now and all of the, all right. of the stuff going on in society. Uh, the the back and forth you talk about absolutism we talk about you know social media uh, have you come under fire at all from from any segment of the cancel culture yet have, have you had any kind of an experience there are you I have, worried I have about uh, I I did have Jesus Christ um, review my novel on Amazon <laughs> okay <laughs> on on his on on his supposed birthday he said. Ah. Uh, on December 25th, I got a, uh, a review from Jesus Christ who said, um, read it now. Uh, it was the best story he'd ever read, uh, and he loved it, And and but he, but he urged everyone to read it now before it was banned by the church. I, I'm not exactly sure why it would have been banned by the church, uh, but I guess maybe he picked up on something in there that, that he felt uh, uh, I was saying. Uh, and I, I definitely wasn't saying anything about any particular religion. I, I, I tried to, I think, uh, point out that no matter what we believe, we don't know 100% of the story. Right. And, and I, think, I think that, uh, that there's elements of that mentality, um, which I hold, um, which I, I think is a fairly rational a, a rational mindset. Uh, I think. I think that's exactly what the definition of extremism is: is that when you think you know it all, and you want, and you need everybody else to believe you're right. <laughs> so I think. I think uh, that that is. Uh, how do we? How do we get past that? Do you think? <clears throat> I don't think we do. I. 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 Um. I don't think that I, I think this 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 idea stemmed from how I view politics right um, democracy let's say or what we call America even was kind of founded on on a, a set of events that that were like an escape from a religious autocracy right um, with the with the the church and its you know several century control over Europe, uh, this whole separation of church and state that that came about, mm -hmm. and and um, and we like to say that you know the American experiment has been you know the most successful democratic experiment uh, in history, and to a degree that's true. Uh, there are other 
instances, I think, where 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 um, you could say, well, yeah, we're still here. I'm not exactly sure if we're doing a great job at democracy or not. Uh, and 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 the fact that we're growing as a species is kind of happening to Americans also. Right. But when you actually look at what our government state is, I don't really know if our democracy is getting better. I think just human beings at some particular levels are getting better, but we're getting worse in other ways. So I, I don't think there's any system of government that we're going to come up with that's going to be perfect. I don't think there's any set of beliefs that we know 100% everything I think about this belief, I'm right. I don't think that there's any situation where we're going to be 100% finally we got it. Yeah. And even if we did, there's going to be people that disagree. And there's going to be people that take an idea to an extreme. You kill one Hitler, somebody else is born somewhere who grows up and says, but I like the idea of taking over the world. So I think, I think at the end, uh, maybe, maybe we're just supposed to keep trying uh, and hope that the majority of the things we do are, are in the positive and not the negative towards our own progress. I would hope that after all of the, all of the, the circumstances of the last, well, I don't know, five, six, ten years that coming out of this at some point, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but at some point I would hope that people will look back on this and recognize a need for more empathy and, right. and uh, not just, not just understanding the other person's point of view, whether you agree or not, I'll, you know, I'll respect your, your right to disagree with me. Um, but, but empathy towards other people regardless of point of view or background or, or, or occupation or anything like that. I think, and I don't know if it's, if it's a social media thing or if it's, it's something else, you know, something in the water, but it feels like uh, from a faith-based point of view, it feels like we're losing our way in terms of respect for the, for the other person in the room. And I don't know if it I, – I have to think that social media has exacerbated that a little bit. Are, are, there, are there ways to mitigate that, do you think? Is there – just in your experience, just dealing with people and putting the story together and right. projecting forward into, well, this is a possible future. You know, you're, you're, you're doing your world building. Are, are we on track for it to get worse, do you think? you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Or are we maybe coming out of the, uh, of the tail end of this? Well, um, I've always been an optimist. And I've always believed in that little fairy that crawled out of the end of Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <clears throat> so I, I, I guess... Uh, I don't believe it will go one way or the other. I hope, I hope that somehow as the world is becoming smaller, 
and that all of these technologies, which have also had such devastating effects on people's lives, that somehow it's still all happening while we're growing as a species. Right. And that somehow this time we won't fall and have to rebuild again. Uh, but if you look at the rise and fall of nations, <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> always do actually. And so that is a possibility. Yeah. Although there is something to be said for a constitution that has lasted as long as it has, because you look at other countries that have constitutions of some sort as a system of government. Um, we, we've modified ours, you know, with right. the amendment process and whatnot, but we haven't just outright replaced it every 20, 25, 50 years, like some countries. Right. So I think there's something, there's something to that in the way that uh, that our system has been structured, and I think that does uh, provide some some source of hope for uh, for coming out of this a little bit more resiliently than than other other places might. Uh, but I, I think I think at the end of the day, though, I think you're right. I think we have to hold on to to that smidgen of hope for the future that things might get better. To that end, are we sabotaging ourselves with so many post-apocalyptic stories? <laughs> I mean, we have hope for the future, but all of our stories are, are starting from a disaster of some sort. I mean, we're kind of working at cross purposes there, I think. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think entertainment... Um, entertainment can be something that that destroys you. It can be something that, you know, we've all binge watched shows and some people binge watch their life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so talking about extremism. Uh, so yeah, entertainment, entertainment could, uh, can is a double edged sword. Uh, I think, <clears throat> I think creators of content maybe have a responsibility to try to create a thought provoking uh, entertainment so that maybe you get something out of it while you're being entertained. I tried to do that in my book. Um, but I think Gene Roddenberry, even with his Star Trek, you know, was painting some pretty dismal future events, no. but also, no. you know, paralleling that with the, the human spirit and, and, uh, and I think we all hope for a better future for our children uh, and hope that it continues to get better and that they don't have to live through an apocalypse. But I think telling stories about what could happen, human beings are fascinating creature. The way, the way we can create futures in our minds, all that is is taking a lot of cause and effect experience and mapping it out um, in what-if scenarios. And I think uh, the more we do that, the more we um, have, the more we're, we're being brought face to face with um, with almost learning materials of what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think I think uh, I think there will always be people that want to set us on a path to destruction or don't even know they're doing that, but that's what's happening because of their own. Uh, broken pieces. Um, but, 
the more we tell stories and the more we we extrapolate out what might happen, the the people that are that are interested in in our longevity and our success will be inspired by those ideas and hopefully uh, work against against the uh, worst of those stories. Now, when you're doing uh, the world building for all of this, you know, Rodden, you mentioned Roddenberry. You look at some of these other franchises where there's a great deal of world building that's baked into it, especially after so long of a time where we've had these things. Uh, was there was there a lot of research that you did going into the four myths? Is, is this world building set for additional stories or is this a one-off or uh, how much, how much work did you do to create the environment for the story? Right. So, um, the, the world I built was the present world. Uh, and historical events that I, that I think everybody knows about and can relate to and uh, tried to give a, a, I guess, a, a viewpoint or a what-if scenario about, about um, those events. Uh, if, if anybody has seen my trailer, uh, there are blips of uh, some images and one of them is like a teepee. Um, I've always been very fascinated and inspired by uh, indigenous people's cultures. Uh, Dances with Wolves is probably one of my favorite movies and I've seen it a thousand times and I always cry at the end and several other times throughout. Uh, I, I think I tried to, um, I tried to paint an image of, of uh, Native American people and, and indigenous people uh, in general in this book um, in, in kind of a light that, that, that I, I see them. Uh, they're, they're not a perfect people. Uh, you know, uh, from the past, but I think, I think, uh, like so many cultures, they, they, they all embody, they all embody a some set of ideals and values that, that, uh, are worthy of, uh, of, uh, I think pointing out. And, uh, that's, that's what I tried to bring to the book. Is there anything that you, uh, looked at and, and thought, well, that would, that would make a, a good element and then second guess yourself and, and pull things out and say, eh, maybe not so much. Well, they say in writing, you know, when you revise, you have to kill your darlings. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I had to do a little bit of that. Um, but I, I really tried to, I really tried to put in the book. Um, and I think this will, this, this is definitely a part of the book or, 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 a a way the book uh, is written that that I know some people do not like, mm. um, and it's a bit it's a bit Quentin Tarantino ish uh, in the sense that it is nonlinear, um, and people looking for a linear story. Uh, uh, some have said I don't like books like this, but I like this book, and others have said I was so confused I don't understand anything. No. Other people said I don't know how he was going to bring these together when I was reading, but wow, he did. Um, so, uh, I think it's just going to depend on the person. Um, but, but for me, um, 
I actually forgot your question when I was trying. <laughs> what did you uh, What did you say? I don't know pieces, what I'm doing here. Pieces that you like that you had to take out. I'm. Oh yes, right. So so uh, there are some there are some uh, characters I bring in uh, into this um, story that that there's a there's an element of this of this novel that also is um, like a collection of short stories. It's not a collection of short stories, but there are some short stories within it um, in order to, to um, give more flavor to, to the plot as a whole and also to introduce you to, to people that I hope uh, the reader will love and connect to and, and get to have a window into moments at different times and among different people. So I, I, I think I kept most of what I wrote into the story. Now, is anything uh, set up for additional books in this, in this world, or is this one and done? I'll, I'll have to keep that one on the shelf. Um, the book as a whole is not set up for a sequel. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that I might not have something else to say. Um, I did have a, a very early pre-launch reader fall in love with one of the particular love stories that happens in, in the book, and they wanted a whole book about them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that will happen. I, I, I told her, uh, yeah, that's probably not on the table. <laughs> well, and that's that's when you do the, the short story anthology that takes all of the side characters and, and right. you know runs parallel. And, right. and there's precedent for that. I mean, uh, Anne McCaffrey has done that with the Dragon Riders of Pern books, and you've got uh, all sorts of examples in the comic books where you have these these major events like Crisis on Infinite Earths, where you have the the main storyline is in this set of titles and this right. these issues, and then this one goes off this way in the into the pages of the Flash, and then this one picks up over in Batman, and this one picks right. up over in Green Lantern. So you could do something like that. Right. And, and I've thought of that. I, I actually, uh, you know, having gone through this process of, of learning how to be a writer when you're not uh, trained for it um, has been such a, a difficult uh, mental and emotional uh, journey that I, I do have a desire to um, try to reach out to people and, and let them know how they too might be able to find their inner writer and um, I'm also a, I feel that, that young people today are getting kind of lost. Um, I have four children. I have two of them that are teenagers. I've seen how they've grown up in, in the 2000s. And it's, it's just so different than even me growing up in the 80s was. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I can't save the children uh, but I was thinking that, you know, having a scholarship, uh, some kind of writing scholarship, and there's there's a, there's not only some of these side characters, but more so um, the book doesn't the book doesn't cover everything that was happening everywhere. And I I was thinking about maybe creating a small writing scholarship um, for uh, high school seniors uh, to to give us a story from the four myths during the four myths that happened someplace else. 
And uh, so, yeah, that, that idea has come to me. Now, have you looked into writing workshops? I know there are a number of them out there. We've talked to, to various different people over the past few months about various different programs. Um, uh, oh, uh, Claire, Clarion West, I think is what it's called, the one up in Seattle. But there are a number of uh, number of writers' workshops. Have you looked into those? Is that something you sit there and go, "Oh man, this was really hard to write this book," but you wrote the book. I mean, it's done. It's published. I mean, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Right. But have you thought about you know attending workshops to try to streamline your process and make it easier, or is this something you're just gonna you know dive into it and do it your way? Or I mean, not yeah, I not, think, not to I think, not to make uh, that sound like a negative, but Right. So I'm not against writing workshops. However, uh, I don't have the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I learned, you know, I learned my style through these 15 years. Uh, and that's what this book took to create. Uh, I learned, I learned my style. I learned a lot of things the hard way. I learned how, how to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't think I, I don't think I need a writing workshop to to teach me how I can do it better next time. I already know how to how to do it better. Um, it's just that I always love to learn. So if I have more time in the future, I might get involved in things to see if there's some benefit in them. Yeah. All right. You mentioned children. I want to I want to bring up your website again because there is a, another project that's listed here to be announced for children coming in 2021. Is there right. anything that you can tell us about that? What's the plan there? Right. So it, it is a children's uh, book. Uh, it's actually uh, 20 years in the making. I wrote it 20 years ago, um, but it's full illustrated um, pictures in kind of the uh, landscape uh, style, of, like where the wild things are, right? We all know that book. So I'm trying to give that image of that's the kind of a, uh, of a, uh, uh, format of the book. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I was just coming out of school. Uh, the idea of getting a, a book illustrated, I, I didn't have the first idea. I've come across a few young people over the years that maybe I saw as good artists. I said, Hey, you want to try this? But you know, nobody ever has the time. Right. Um, but eventually I stumbled upon, a, uh, an illustrator about a year ago. And, um, and she was up, up for the challenge and started delivering some really uh, great ideas. And, uh, and so I got excited about it and decided, okay, I think, I think I can, I can finish this. And it is the only thing I can really say about it right now is it is the, uh, it is a, a, uh, a book that I hope everybody will love and that it is lightly science-based um, so children will learn something about, um, you know, the, 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 you know, I guess coming from a, from a science standpoint, um, but it, it, it's not like a book on chemistry or something. Yeah. So you mentioned <laughs> it's a, it's an illustrated book, not a graphic novel. No, right, right. It's right. a, it's an illustrated children's book, uh, that I think could be read to, um, young, very young children, and they will get what they get from it. 
and be inspired by it in the way they would be inspired by it. And given the fact that I have children from seven to 19, uh, I, I kind of have already an idea of, of reaction. And then I, I, I hope older kids um, can read it and, and, uh, and some of them will really get some sparks flying um, and it might inspire them in this, this uh, way or that way in, in, in kind of STEM learning. All right. Well, good luck with that. We look forward to seeing what you come up with with that. And as far as inspiring and 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 that sort of thing, we did get um, connected because Sean Collins says, "Hey, you guys should be talking to each other." How, how do you know Sean? Ah, uh, well, Sean, I, I did. You happen to notice he was listed there on my website? I did. I saw that. Yes. Right. So John and I went to high school together, and uh, and uh, you know he's just. He's just a really great guy. Um, just, I don't know. I, 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 I would consider him one of my best friends, but sadly due to time and space and years and, and distance and, and uh, everything, I, I never get to stay in touch with anybody that I want, uh, that I'd love to as much as I, I want. So, right. you know, right. when I'm in, in Topeka on very rare occasions, if we can meet up, uh, we do, uh, and, uh, and so that's what I feel about Sean. And, uh, but, but Sean, uh, as I said on my website, um, he helped me complete my first full writing, uh, thing, <laughs> you know, here I'm an author without words, but, uh, uh, you know, my, my first com- complete idea of being able to brought to being able to be brought to fruition yeah. and, and uh, that was actually a Star Trek Deep Space Nine script. So I, uh, I came up with an idea, uh, and I can't remember what the chain of events was, but I do know that at the time, it was like 1994 or five, uh, Star Trek was the only show on TV that was accepting outside scripts. Right, they're open to mission policy. Right. So I don't know if he told me that and I got my gears grinding or if I just happened to come up with an idea and he told me that that we went, you know, you've got you've got uh, your uh, your bunker there. um, And that's kind of what Sean's basement looked like at the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Had he had all of his like, uh, you know, things that he he likes from different movies and whatnot. And and uh, we sat down there um, with his little brother and a dry erase board, and we mapped out my idea into a plot, and and uh, and decided to write it. And and I wrote about half of it, and he wrote about half of it, and it was great. I, I to this day, I I still feel it was a, a story that we saw on TV. Uh, we submitted it, and. And uh, waited and waited. Eventually, I just got impatient. I wasn't hearing anything. And I, I called and called. And somehow, I got into the writer's den. Wow. And was speaking to um, one of the people in charge of the scripts. Um, and he, he told me that it had written a maybe on it. And he said, maybe one in 100 get that. And, and uh, it didn't end up getting bought. We have two theories. They won't tell you. They wouldn't tell you why. Oh, sure. Two theories. One theory is we slightly touched on the 
major character arc of Odo. And we, even though we felt like we were able to wrap it up at the end, that it didn't, that, that it didn't affect the overall arc. Uh, and the other one was possibly the special effects that we, that we were, that we were creating were a little expensive for the time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it really got me inspired. I think I started five or six different projects after that, that some of them are still sitting on an old floppy unfinished. Uh, and the four myths was the first, well, the, the science children's book was the first, uh, uh, book of my own that I finished, but it's, you know, it's a children's book, but the four myths was the first story I, I came up with, uh, you know, about 10 years later and, and really said, okay, yes, this, this, I want to write. Well, and that gives me a, a moment here that I could plug Sean's show, Traveling the Vortex. It's a Doctor Who discussion, and he is a part of our own Doctor Who discussion, Tardisaws. There and he is. We will have a new episode of that on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Robert, are you a big Doctor Who fan? Uh, let me put it this way. When I was a kid and Tom Baker was on PBS <laughs> reruns, I was always watching it. Yep. Uh, but I just never seem to have found the time to uh, follow that series as the years went on. I did watch uh, a few episodes of the brand new uh, series that came out like around 2009 or 10 mm. um, and was hell bent on watching it. But I life just got so busy. I think I've watched the first four episodes three times. <laughs> <laughs> A lot has happened on that show yes. since the first four episodes. <laughs> yes. It's something something to binge watch, I guess, right? When you have the time. Yeah. 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 One, one day when I'm really, really toast, <laughs> I might binge watch season one. All right. Well, uh, Robert, thanks very much for being here today. The website, robertreisler.com. You can also find him on Twitter as Robert Reisler and uh, the book, is the four myths and it is available now and then the children's book coming in later on this year we'll have you back talk about that one when we're closer to publication and as soon as i'm able uh we will try to get a a review published here for four myths and tell people what we think about it all right i hope it doesn't make you think too much about your own existence to the point you give it a one star <laughs> Uh, I think about I, I think about the meaning of my existence quite a bit, so it should just fall right in line there, and it it, it won't make me overthink. I'm sure. All right, good. Yeah, when I finished writing this book, I decided to stop. So yeah, okay. done with existence. <laughs> all right, Robert. Thanks very much, and thanks to all of you for being here as well. And uh, we will do this all again tomorrow. No guest uh, is scheduled as of yet which means you'll probably just hear me rant for an hour, but that's okay. And then, like we said, we've got, uh, we've got uh, Tardis Sauce coming up later on this week, plus Good Morning Multiverse with the, the week's headlines, all of that here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. So connect with us if you haven't already. Feel free to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, and we will be back with more tomorrow. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.